You're listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Welcome to MND Matters, brought to you by the MND Association. Alongside members of the MD community, we bring stories, information, and expertise direct to your ears. Remember to subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. I'm Nick, and I'm the Head of Research Development at the MD Association. I am currently on the set of our 32nd International Symposium on ALS MD, a conference we hold every year bringing together MD researchers and healthcare professionals from across the world. This year, like last year, is slightly different as our symposium is once again virtual. In this episode of MD Matters, we'll discuss what the symposium is, its history, what it means for MD research, and talk to some of the key people that make it happen. I'm here with Brian Dickey, the MD Association's Director of Research Development. He's been at the Association for over 25 years, organising and attending many symposia. Brian, could you tell us a little bit about the history of this symposium and why it started? Well, Nick, the symposium predates even me, of course. It started about uh, 32 years ago, and uh, it originated in a hotel in Solihull, which is in the outskirts of Birmingham, and we believe there were around 44 delegates attended. So it was small numbers, but there was a clear need for more communication between neurologists, healthcare professionals and researchers who at that point were in small numbers but scattered across the world. Uh, one of the neurologists who attended that first uh, meeting actually says it was, it was a little bit rough and ready. For example, we hadn't actually organised lunches, so we actually had to go to the newsagents across the road for chocolate bars and crisps. And obviously it's grown tremendously since then. And could you just put a bit more colour onto that? How has it developed since? An obvious way is in, in numbers. You know, we have um, 1,300 people attended the last on-site meeting. We've had over 1,500 attend uh, this year's online event. And it really parallels, I think, the, the huge rise in research activity across the world. Uh, one of the things we have noticed is, of course, as we learn more about this disease, we learn how complicated it is. But one of the advantages is that we're drawing in new researchers all the time with expertise in a whole range of different areas. So from other neurodegenerative diseases, but also from the cancer field, from the diabetes field. And really, I think, you know, MND ALS has become such a hot topic. It's moved over the past two decades from what I would have called a scientific backwater to really the forefront of neurodegenerative disease research. One of the barometers for me for the importance of the symposium, certainly in respect to the development of treatments, is the number of delegates with drug company names on their badges. And we've seen that increasing year on year on year. And, you know, drug companies, yes, of course, they want to make the world a better place, but they also want to sell drugs to keep their shareholders happy. And the fact that an increasing number of companies are coming into this field is because they think this is a tractable disease. And that's got to be a good thing. So do you think our symposium has made a difference to MND research and care? I'd like to think so because it's a lot of hard work to put on. But, um, you know, let me give you one example. So many years ago, I think it was the symposium we held in Chicago, where 
the ALS Association and ourselves booked a room and we got some of the leading genetic researchers round a table together. And they'd all tended to operate in silos before that point. And they agreed that they would work together, they'd share their samples, um, initially focusing on familial MND. But out of that came the seats of the Project MINE initiative, the world's biggest genetic uh, research programme for any disease, um, which now involves 21 countries, I believe it is, across the world. So the seeds of that can be traced back to the International Symposium. And that's a visible example, but, you know, the symposium, 90%, it's like an iceberg, 90% of the activity occurs outside of the lecture hall. It's in the coffee breaks, it's at the lunches, it's in the bars, and that's where the new ideas are exchanged, the new collaborations are formed. And, you know, if we're going to crack this disease, we've got to do it collaboratively. And is the symposium something you're very proud of? Yes, I am proud of it because it's a lot of hard work to put on. Uh, I have a great team that uh, puts a lot of effort into making this three-day, four-day event happen every year, um, including your good self, of course, Nick. So this is the second year we've uh, run the event virtually and we've really tried hard to capture some of that networking and and those collaborations that happen in the symposium. Do you think we've achieved that? I think we have to a degree. Um, I think one of the great things about going online is it's it's more accessible and we've seen that in the increased numbers and the the increased number of countries that are able to participate in in this event. Um, But there is probably something that is lost and you know if you attend uh, the poster session for example at an on-site event there's a palpable buzz you can feel the atmosphere the the excitement Um, particularly I think it's important for young investigators who are presenting their work I remember when I was a, a young researcher doing my PhD and one of these gods of the field came over and started asking me questions you know I was an absolute high and you know that just increased my enthusiasm for the work I was doing and so you know I I think the face-to-face event isn't just important for the senior researchers but it's absolutely vital for the junior researchers because of course they're the ones that we're going to come through be the leaders of tomorrow and hopefully lead us to effective treatments for this disease that's right and where do you see us next year (laughs) i hopefully see us in san diego doing a face-to-face event Um, we will try and incorporate some of the elements of the um, the virtual world we clearly can't do everything uh, for a start some of it would be financially very prohibitive and we are a charity, but we'll certainly see if we can try and pull together a hybrid event that hopefully ticks as many boxes as possible. Sally Light, the Chief Executive of the m and Association, opened this year's symposium. She joins me now. Sally, what does the symposium mean to you? Well, the symposium is just one of the biggest highlights of the of the year, isn't it? It's just an incredible opportunity to bring researchers and Uh, clinical staff from right across the world together to share best practice and up-to-date research information and knowledge. I think the important thing for me is 
of course the the information that's put across in the platform presentations but more importantly than that it's the human connections that are made it's listening to people talking about collaborating sharing data um, just bringing their research together where there are connections and it really is all about those interpersonal relationships that are built at the symposium and you see that happening every year and I've been to a number of them now and I've seen the research develop and I've seen how out of those conversations we're now able to offer so much more hope to people living with and affected by M&D than when I first started at the association uh, nearly nine years ago and that is such an important contribution that the M&D association's made over all of these years. I'm now joined by Jamie, who is Creative Director at WaveFX, the company that we use to sort out all the cameras, the live streaming and everything else needed to run the International Symposium virtually. Jamie, could you let us know a little bit about the setup and scale of what we're doing here? We're running a four-day symposium Mm -hmm. um, from a tiny corner of of the office in Northampton. And we've we've created a kind of studio feel if you get a chance to see, uh, have a look, and it's, it's basically two bits of wood pointed into a corner, well lit, and uh, with a big plasma screen. And we've got a couple of cameras. We then bring some Zoom guests in virtually, and the magic happens when we vision mix all that together um, and try and make the best we can. The best way to describe it is trying to make a TV production out of um, all the content that we've got today. We're, we're trying to keep it interesting. With some fast editing and, and of course some some good Q and A and some. But in terms of your setup, I know there's a lot of work goes into it. How many people have you got on site today? So today, well, we had the set builders in before. And that's a couple. It's a couple of guys that take most of the day just to build the set. Um, on site today, we've got about six, six, seven people from a sound guy, um, someone actually looking after just playing out of the videos. Tom's doing the Zoom. Uh, Pete's doing the vision mixing, uh, and Bob's taking a kind of producer role, uh, and I'm manning the cameras and sort of doing the edits as they come and getting them quickly up onto Vimeo. So we're a, we're a team of seven today behind the scenes. It's two vans in a couple of days just to get to where we are now, ready to go. We're, we're a few hours off going live now. It doesn't take long to get out, though. <laughs> it's a couple of hours to get out, and we're back on the road. So how do you manage to sort of coordinate and get it all right the number of guests that are coming in all the people talking at different times you know what what's yeah, the process yeah so that that has been the challenge i mean historically if you thought of a stage physical event pre covid it was it was just a running order a schedule where people would go on the stage they'd stand at the lectern there'd be a q and a and you repeat that 50 times what we're dealing with now is we're bringing in virtual guests and we're vision mixing them in and we're we're having to coordinate the studio, the virtual guests, and it, it does take a, a bit more organisation, and that comes with rehearsing. You know, we're, we're an industry that loves rehearsing, and these these events only look as slick as they are that the guests give the time to rehearse, and the uh, uh, and the crew the crew really appreciate that. And what are you most worried about? The internet. No one can control the internet. It doesn't matter how much we back up with. Uh, power generators or backup internet uh, you know we can bring all that on site but um if the internet goes down that that really is the end of the show you've done the international symposium on als mnd which is our annual event a few times what kind of things have you noticed changed over the years 
what personally is great about this event is it comes it comes at the end of the year for us and it's um it's grown you know it's grown hugely um my colleague james um from assets he's been doing your event for nearly 20 years and it's grown from a, a from a small operation in northampton to this global uh, event and and it seemingly continued to grow so now we're virtually online and i'm sure the numbers will will, will continue to grow so this this is you know it's a buzz on it. it's you know it's the one the crew want to be on it's no, there's no hardship in trying to get the gang together for this one that's fantastic Dr. Amar Al-Chalabi is an NIHR senior investigator and professor of neurology and complex disease genetics at King's College London and is also chair of the International Symposium Programme Committee. He plays a pivotal role in the conference. He'll be on screen introducing talks and hosting question sessions. He joins me now. Amar, could you briefly explain the importance of the symposium for the future of M&D research? Well, thank you, Nick. It's basically very important as a showcase for cutting-edge research and that can inspire early career researchers and also spark new ideas in anybody listening or watching and for senior researchers it gives a good overview of what's going on in the world and therefore helps to encourage us all to keep pushing forward until we can find a cure for motor neurone disease. When we're in real uh, person-to-person conferences rather than virtual as we are today there's an additional benefit which is the uh, networking that can happen that can also spark new collaborations and drive research forwards. And how does it feel to be involved? It's very exciting. It's a great privilege to be the chair of the programme uh, committee. It's uh, wonderful to see the studio here and see how all the behind the scenes uh, equipment and crew work. That's great. And do you feel optimistic that this kind of event is really making a difference? It definitely makes a difference. I've had a number of projects that have come out directly because of presentations or posters that I've seen at a symposium. They always make a difference, and I have many collaborations that have resulted from networking at such events. And is there any particular magic recipe for those collaborations? I think trust and friendship are the two key recipes for a good collaboration. Uh, Obviously, you have to have a scientific spark as well, but actually, unless you can work together well, that's the most crucial point. You have to work together well. And would you say there's one key thing that you're trying to avoid by having an event like this? You you don't really want people all working on the same thing at the same time and not understanding what each other are doing? That's actually that's a very good point, yes. Yeah, so there are there is a place for duplication of work because you want to replicate findings and know that they're real. And if they've been done by two independent teams and they both come to the same conclusion then you can believe them because science is always, always has some level of uncertainty. But yes, certainly an event like this means that everyone can carve out their own niche without um, accidental duplication that wouldn't be so useful taking place. And do you feel that the event is accessible to people living with and affected by MND? I think when it's virtual, then it's definitely accessible from the point of view of being able to watch it and provide questions. I think it, the scientific jargon used may make it inaccessible to anybody who isn't scientifically trained, but there are ways around that. The face-to-face symposium meetings are more challenging in terms of being made accessible because of the travel involved. But I think a hybrid system might be very useful in the future for that. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. The International Symposium is aimed primarily at researchers and healthcare professionals, and one of our really important roles is to disseminate the work that goes on at the symposium to 
the MD community. And one of the really great things we've done this year, it's been done by Mandy in the research team, is the symposium blogathon. Mandy, tell us a bit about the blogathon. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a way of disseminating all the science to um, people with MND. So it's it. I looked through all the abstracts and I found all the posters and the talks that I thought would be of most interest to people living with or affected by MND. And then I translated that science into terms that hopefully they can understand um, and put that together in blog form um, for different topics that are being covered in the symposium. And how do people find that? It's on our blog. You can just, if you just go onto our website and search in the search bar symposium blogathon, um, it will come up with all the blogs. Um, and also on our uh, symposium website pages, there's a tab for symposium blogathon, which will take you to the schedule. And you can click on any of those and it will take you straight to the blog. And is it being well used? It has been, yes. Um, I've been really, really pleased to see that um, certainly as of the end of November, the, the blogs came out each weekday in November, and as of the end of November, they have been viewed nearly 7,000 times, which is uh, excellent, I think, um, and I'm really, really pleased with that. That's wonderful, and we're expecting a significant uptick, I guess, during the symposium as well as the social media builds and people see which talks and the content that's been talked about. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that um, people will keep visit, uh, visiting the, the pages, will keep tweeting about it um, to send people in that direction. Um, and, yeah, it will give them all the information that they need to know and make it a little bit easier to understand. Excellent. And what's next? Uh, well, <laughs> the blogs will be updated. Um, hopefully, if there's any more to add to it, if um, any of the posters or the talks give a bit more information than their abstracts have shown, um, the blogs will be updated and any other talks um, that have been particularly interesting will also be blogged about after the event. So we will keep everybody updated with everything that's gone on. Thanks for sharing that Mandy and I encourage everyone listening to go and check out the Blogathon and all of the other resources that we provide. People with MD are at the heart of everything we do. Brian, I wonder if you could share a way in which we try to include patients in the symposium. I think one of the unique features about the symposium is it doesn't just bring the scientists and clinicians and the health and social care professionals together it brings the the charity representatives the patient association representatives and of course the patients themselves and I think one of the things uh, I've been very pleased to see is the growth of the patient fellows program which is giving people the opportunity to experience firsthand what the symposium is all about Yes, so although the symposium is primarily aimed at MND researchers and healthcare professionals, it's also really important that we make it accessible to people living with and affected by the disease, which is ultimately the community that we serve. So the Alliance Patient Fellow Programme is really good for this and is now an integral part of the symposium. I'm pleased to say that I'm now joined by one of this year's patient fellows, Jack Gray. Jack was diagnosed with MND six years ago and is going to share a bit about his symposium experience. Thank you for joining me, Jack. So you're one of the patient fellows. Could you just explain to us what a patient fellow is? Yes, uh, basically as a person that represents the ALS community, I have been diagnosed with ALS. I am a slow progressor. Of course, you see the bulbar effects on my speech 
So I represent the patients that are very interested, of course, in the LS and all the research and all the activity that's going around the world. In terms of what you've seen and heard at the symposium this year, what has most interested you? Well, I find everything intriguing, um, but I really appreciate the opportunity to listen in and gain more knowledge on uh, the research. And of course, all the research and case studies, all the studies that are out there and available, I'm, um, with my Bulbary speech, I am participating in a couple different programs. Um, everything else in the U.S. has a program where we go on my speech weekly. And, um, so I find it very intriguing to hear uh, any discussion in that area on speech studies and using speech as a um, symptom um, or less in the aggression of the disease. And lastly, Jack, as someone living with MND, how is it to see researchers and healthcare professionals from across the world coming together, united, collaborating, a real melting pot of ideas to try to accelerate and drive forward the fight against MND? Yeah, uh, that is uh, what is most impressive. You know, we all, of course, live in our communities and only have a vision of what's going around us. We may have the opportunity to meet a few people um, with the disease, but then when you come to a symposium like this, you see all the research, research and money and effort and brain bomb of very dedicated people in all walks of life around the world. It's so very encouraging and very impressive um, for sure. And I have my hopes and my prayers that we will have a breakthrough They'll be able to find an effective treatment and maybe an effective preventative technique or treatment, or drugs, whatever it takes to help those that are showing signs of this disabling disease. Thank you, Jack. That is incredible, and we really appreciate having you at the symposium. Ultimately, this is what the symposium is all about. It's about people living with and affected by MND. And it's great that you've been able to join me today and to represent the ALS MND patients at our symposium. I know that researchers and healthcare professionals really appreciate having people living with and affected by MND attend the symposium. And it's something that's really important to us. And also, very strongly in our minds, we know that behind every data point, cell line, sample, is a person or family, and we never forget that.
I'm joined once again by Dr. Brian Dickey, and we've just wrapped up on this year's International Symposium. Brian, what do you think's been your standout moment? I wouldn't call it a standout moment, Nick, but there's been so much chat about biomarkers, and that's something that I always bang on about. We're getting closer to finding decent biomarkers at last that could really help clinical research and drug development to, I think, start to shift through the gears. You know, whether that's speeding up diagnosis, um, which would open up the what's called the therapeutic window of opportunity by hitting the disease early, or it could be biomarkers that accurately predict how the disease is likely to progress within an individual, which has implications for both care planning but also for clinical trials. And then, of course, there's biomarkers that can tell us quickly if a drug is hitting its target inside the body and protecting nerve cells. The other thing that's been great this year is there's been a lot of industry speakers and uh, not just presenting trial results, but discussing the whole drug development pathway from early stage drug discovery through to the trial platforms that will allow us to run shorter, faster and smarter trials. It gives the lab scientists in the universities a clearer picture of what they need to do to feed that drug discovery and development pipeline where industry can pick up that ball and run with it through to the clinic. I completely agree. I think that's a really big gap that needs to be filled and it's great to see it happening here at the symposium. I also think what's outstanding is the sheer amount of people that have registered and the amount of work that's been presented. So despite lockdown and what we've gone through in the last year or more, so many people have attended the meeting. There's always that doubt that, you know, would it really happen and be Mm. successful? And there's been a huge amount of work presented and some incredible collaborations. So it's really great to see that the, the, the fight against M&D and the discoveries are still moving forward despite what we've had to endure. So I'd just like to say thanks for joining me, Brian. Thank you, Nick. Well, that's it. The end of another international symposium on ALS M&D. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope that you've learned more about the symposium and how we hope that it will help lead us to M&D treatments and ultimately a cure. Thank you also to all the researchers, clinicians, healthcare professionals, patient fellows and anybody else that attended this year's conference. We hope to see you again next year, be it in person or virtually. If you'd like to learn more about the symposium or read our blogathon, then visit our website, symposium.mndassociation.org. You can send our team your questions too via research at mndassociation.org. That's research at mndassociation.org. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Find more information at mndassociation.org. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, contact our helpline MND Connect on 0808-802-6262 or email mndconnect at mndassociation.org.